Well, thanks, Caitlin. If you want to open up your outlines, you'll find some points that will help you navigate through this passage tonight as we look at it. Why don't we pray as we think through this topic of the tongue and teachers and what that all means, uh, that God would help us to understand his word tonight, but not just to understand it, that he do his work by his spirit in our hearts. Is that what you want? That's what I want when I open the word of God. Uh, And we've just heard God's word read, so why don't we pray? Father, tonight as we think through the implications of what you are saying to us through James. We ask that you would show us where we need to be comforted. You can show us where we have wrong ideas of the way you work and the, wrong, and the way we work. You can show us the joy of what it is to trust you. And I pray that tonight, that you would help us to understand your word and you'd help me to be able to speak it clearly. Amen. When I was a kid, I remember sitting on my mum's lap, crying. I was pretty young, so that's okay. But crying because someone had said some like horrible words to me. Did anyone else ever have that? Where someone said some horrible words and you're crying on your mum's lap. Come on, show of hands. Yeah, come on, be real. Let's get a bit vulnerable. Right, there's a few of you like, yeah, maybe me. <laughs> All right, that was last week. Um, and I remember what my mum said. She looked at me and she said, darling, as mum does, <laughs> Sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt us. Uh, have you heard that saying before? That's, is, is anyone, who, who hasn't heard that before? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry your mum didn't explain it to you. A helpful phrase, right? Because it helps us to recognise that while sticks and stones hurt our bones, names, what people say about us, never hurts. Problem is, it's just a load of crap. <laughs> if I can say that. Because names do hurt. That's been my experience. Whoever coined that phrase, the only way I can understand it would be if they're deaf. Because they never hear anything. Because the stuff people says hurts. That's been my experience of life. Bones break, skin heals, but words carry tremendous power to hurt. They can cause an agony that keeps on going for years and bring things up years later because someone said something little to us. Or they can bring great joy. And praise as someone says something great or wrote something nice in a card. If you look back over the history of humanity, words have been at the center of the highs and the lows. I think about these phrases. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At the height of heights, mankind lands on the moon. Neil Armstrong says those words as he steps onto the moon. And you're like, that was a height. And right there at the center were words that people will remember for millennia. Or Martin Luther King's, I have a dream. He painted a picture for the world of what the world could be like uh, if people didn't look at the the differences between white and black, between races, but saw the people as they were. Winston Churchill's words, we will fight on the beaches. If you're a kind of World War um, II historian, I think it is World War II, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, then then you'll know that that moment was a, a moment of saying, let's gather together and let's go out here. These were words that gathered people together. Highs and lows. How was it that that Hitler gathered the Nazi party together and set out to take over the world? Words. Rhetoric. Words that gathered a nation to see all sorts of atrocities, to achieve all sorts of highlights, like men landing on the moon. What we see is that words, they are powerful. They are powerful. But with the power of words comes what Uncle Ben from Spider-Man calls great responsibility. 
Right? You remember that moment? He's in the car, Peter Parker. He's about to get out to go to the library and do his night job of being Spider-Man. And he looks at him and says, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. That was a defining moment for me. You're like, wow, yeah, Spider-Man movie, you know. But hey, powerful words. And so with having the ability to teach and use words, James is telling us we need to be careful. We need to have great responsibility. See, he's about to apply this whole thing of how we speak and the way our tongue works to teachers, to those who use words for a living to point people to God. And so tonight, as we get into this passage, I need to start with me, (laughs) with me as a teacher, because teachers carry great responsibility for the way we teach and what we say. Some of the biggest regrets that I've had in ministry are the times that I've said things that have hurt others. I've said the wrong thing to people, or or the right thing, but in the wrong way, and it's caused pain. Or I've said the right thing, but to the wrong person at the wrong time, and it's caused all sorts of hurt and frustration. I I wish I could take those words back. Have you ever had that moment where you say something, and it's kind of like you can see the words come out of your mouth, and you're like, come back. (laughs) They're like, no. And then like, I smashed them. Well, sometimes our words, we can see the results of what we say straight away. Other times it might take a year or two before we see the, the effects of what we've said. So, some words I, I'm sure I've said, I don't even know the effect of, both good and bad. The way we use our word matters and teaches in the way that we use our words matters even more. Because James gives us a warning to those who teach. James 3 verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. See, those who teach have at their disposal great power. The ability to teach others comes with it great responsibility to teach others, to teach correctly. And so, as we come along to thinking through this warning to teachers, we need to think through those who teach need to have responsibility in the way that they think about what they're saying and the way they use their words. Now, so often here at EV, you'd hear us encouraging people to consider using their life for gospel ministry, saying, you know, you should consider becoming a teacher. You should consider the call of the gospel on your life. If you're a Christian, we're called by the gospel to serve God with our all. And for some of us, that will mean seriously considering, should I teach others? Should I think through how I lead others in a church setting, in a parachurch setting? Uh, We're all called to use everything that we have, all that God has made us to serve him and his kingdom. But here... That call comes with a warning. Um, I do want to just balance it out before I show you the warning, though. So let me just quickly take you through a skip of the Bible saying we should actually consider whether we should teach and actually consider teaching. Let's just look at the Bible. Luke 10, verse 2. Jesus said, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The writer of Hebrews says, By this time you ought to be teachers. You should have grown up, but you're babies. You should have been teaching others by now. Paul to Timothy says, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, that's an elder, he desires a noble work. Right? The Bible encourages people to, to think through teaching. I mean, God has given the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers to the church. It's a good thing to consider. But James gives us a warning. For those who desire to teach, you will be judged more strictly. Teaching the word of God is not the type of thing that you do, oh, look, you do because you're bored. You're like, you know, I've got a bit of spare time. I don't really know what to do with my life. Oh, why don't I become a pastor? You know, this is a great job. 
I, I literally once met a guy at the door who was door knocking, going around trying to sell something, and he's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, what's that like? I'm like, yeah, it's good. I, I love talking to people about Jesus. And he goes, oh, I guess it'd be great only working one day a week. I'm like, see, that's why you should teach, because you only have to work on Sundays, right? You didn't laugh. We work all week, okay? Just, just... <laughs> we'll talk later. See, for me, opening up the Bible and unpacking it is one of the great loves of my life. I love pointing people to what the Scriptures say, to seeing God captivate people by His Spirit and through His Word. I love the way that as I teach the Bible, I'm convicted. And there have been moments where I've been teaching here at church and I've been convicted by what I'm saying, going, man, you need to change. And it's such a joy. But how easy it is to lead people astray. How easy it is to start saying things that might not be quite true. I feel attention in me. The times when the Bible says things that are controversial or different to the way that society views the world. And the temptation comes along and says, maybe I should just water it down a little. You know, maybe I don't need to be as strong on views on sexuality or the, the start of life or the end of life. Because, you know, it doesn't come across well to the, to the world around us. And I want Jesus to look great. And so I want Jesus to look good. So I paint a different picture of Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. I've seen it happen with people. It's a slow but slippery slope where people take steps and take steps. And before long, they're like, well, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, probably didn't happen. It was more like a spiritual resurrection. He was resurrected in the minds of of people's hearts. And the Jesus you're teaching, the Jesus you're appointing people is not a Jesus that will save them. It's a different Jesus. And you are leading people astray. The danger is this, if you lead yourself and your hearers away from Jesus, you are leading them away from eternal life and into hell. So James tells us, teachers will be judged more strictly because it matters. It's exactly what Paul says in a different way uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Look at this, verse 16. Timothy, pay close attention to your life and your teaching persevere in these things for in doing this you will save both your hearers and and yourself if you do not pay close attention timothy you will not save your hearers and neither will you be saved james wants us to feel the real weight of responsibility without the way we use our words as teachers the teacher will be judged more strictly it's one thing to 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 walk away from the truth yourself it's another to ruin the life of a family that you're a part of, to lead a family, uh, your kids and, and, and family, if you have them away from God. That's a whole other thing to lead a whole church away. The other reason that leaders are judged more harshly is because we have a tendency to hypocrisy. There's a tendency there to be able to say to people, this is what the Bible says, and we should do that, and I'm doing that, but then we go and live a double life. Uh, we don't apply the Bible to ourselves. And that sniffed out so quickly. Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when he points to them and says, you should know these things, but you don't live them out. Our walk needs to match our talk, doesn't it? That's why one of the core principles for us here at EV is to teach the Bible. It's to equip people with how to handle the word of God so that you can work out for yourselves what the Bible's saying and you can kind of check the guy up the front and make sure they're, they're saying what the Bible says. We want to equip everyone to handle the word well so that you might be able to work these things out for yourselves. But 
That's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for the preachers. That's all right. You've equipped them now. <laughs> no responsibility on you. Sweet. No, no. Uh, there's real responsibility. Lots of us carry it. Mothers and fathers are called to instruct their children. Uh, if you become a mom or a dad, that's your role, is to teach and instruct your children. Uh, church leaders, youth group leaders, connect group leaders, kids church leaders, if you are one of those people, then you are leading people and will be judged more harshly, will be judged according to what you teach. So, friends, make sure if you are a teacher that you hold to the scriptures, that you only teach what is true. You don't fly kites and go, what about this and what about that and hypothesize and kind of run around the edges you stick to what the truth of the Bible says and hold on to it firmly. And for all of us, we need to pray for those that are teaching us, don't we? We need to pray for them regularly. We need to pray that God would keep them in the word, that he'd keep um, helping them walk the walk as they talk the talk. And so I thought I'd just throw up some of the leaders in our church and pray for them. Let me show you some. Here are our kids' church leaders. Uh, Some of you might even be here. Uh, They're the people at EV that are kind of leading kids' church at the moment. Uh, let me show you some of our youth leaders. If you're wondering where they got the photos from, Facebook. Pub- <laughs> publicly available. So here are the youth leaders. There you go. Some have got shorter hair now. You can work out who that is in a second. Uh, and here are our connect group leaders. And then there's some really ugly people at the end. I'll show you them. Sorry to Andrew and Lachlan, but at least I can include myself. There you go. So why don't we just spend a moment and stop right at this point and pray for those that are leading us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for those that have led us and taught us your word throughout the years and pointed us to the joys of knowing Jesus. We ask that you would help the leaders of EV and leaders in your churches across the world to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. To make sure that they they do not deviate from the truth, but by your spirit, keep unpacking your word to keep them speaking the truth. We ask that you would see all the leaders here at EV continue to grow and be captivated by Jesus. And that that you might use them and through them grow your people. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, before we move off this, and it's good to spend a little bit of time here, I want to just touch on the other side of teachers, hearers. Because we're either a teacher or a hearer in most situations. Before James gets to the point where he wants us to think about how we use our words, I just want to focus for a moment on the way that we hear and speak to those that are teaching us. And the principle is this, James 3 verse 2. So we think about how we hear as hearers, we have to remember this principle. For we all stumble... In many ways. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? It's one of those great things in this passage. You're like, oh, as we see how hard it is to try and tame our tongue a little bit later. James sets out this thing at the start to go, you know, we all stumble. We haven't got life sorted. And that's helpful for us to hear as hearers. Your teachers, your parents, your connect group leaders, your, your pastors, they're not perfect. They're, they're going to stumble in many ways, just like you and me. <laughs> And we've got to remember that as we hear what they're saying. See, it's so easy to throw rocks at those that are out the front teaching. Say, oh, you didn't do this right, or you said that in a harsh way, or you did this this time, or you didn't do that thing. But we've got to remember, they are not Jesus. The role of Messiah has already been taken. They're fallible humans, just like you, who aren't going to get it right all the time. 
but are slogging their guts out to try and serve and lead and love you in any way possible. So I want to give three quick tips for hearers. Number one, as you hear someone teaching and you get frustrated and you want to criticize, tip number one, don't suppress it. Don't suppress the frustration. Sometimes we hear uh, something that someone says, a teacher says, and it hurts us. And, but what we do, rather than go and deal with it, um, we get bitter. We get that thought and we're like, I'm just going to suppress it and lock it away in some cage inside my deep bowel area, right? And I have it there and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just keep suppressing it and pushing it down. I'm not going to think about it. But as we're going to sleep at night, we're like, ah, oh, flaming idiot. can't believe he said that. And what we do is we, we start feeding this kind of kind of idea that's locked up in, 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 in our inners. And, and after a while, that idea of the hurt we have turns into a monster. And it grows and grows and kind of breaks out of the cage and lashes out of our mouths like some whip of a tongue. And we say things that we regret. And we start throwing rocks. And Don't suppress your frustrations. Go to those that are leading you and talk about it. Talk about it in a way that you love them and care for them, but, but don't suppress it. Number two, have a generous assumption. In other words, come to that conversation assuming that they had your best intentions at heart. Don't walk in and going, look, you hate me. You want to see me die on the ground in the dirt forever. And so you said this stuff, right? You don't know that unless they said that. And if they did, well, when you said that, (laughs) it made me feel like you wanted me to die in the dirt because that's what you said. And I really didn't feel loved. (laughs) But have a generous assumption. Um, if they didn't have your best interests at heart, let them confess that. It's not your job to confess it for them. <laughs> let them recognise, actually, I think I was being spiteful in that when I, when I said it that way. Chances are, though, they had no idea. Well, there was something else going on for them. Have a generous assumption as you go and talk about things. And also, remember that very rarely when people bring things up, even if it feels like it's, the majority of it is untrue, very rarely have I heard a criticism against me that's 100% untrue. There's always been a kernel of truth in it somewhere that they've seen something that's, yeah, there's probably a bit of that. Now I could justify it away, but we should always look for how God's growing us through the feedback of others. And so don't go in going, I've done nothing wrong. Go in with a generous assumption of them caring for you, looking for what they've been trying to say. Third thing, so number one, don't suppress it. Number two, have a generous assumption. Number three, Know the difference between being caring and a critic. The difference between being caring and a critic. See, the critic, the one who criticizes, they just want to crush the other person. I just want to show you everything you've done wrong in the last 15 years, Rowan. So let me list them out now publicly so everyone can see you suck. Right? That's what the critic does. And we want to do it publicly because we don't feel right until we've kind of been able to air it in the open for everyone to see and talk through all those issues. I'm not saying we should kind of hide things, but the critic really just wants to crush people, to show them they're wrong and they're only satisfied when everyone else says, yes, they were wrong, and the critic's like, awesome, they were wrong, and then they can go and sit down. Don't be a critic. Be someone who cares. See, the person who cares has the best interests of the one they're talking to at heart. Uh, they want to build them up. They want to see them grow from their mistakes. They want to share their life with them. The difference between being a critic and caring is that being a critic is really easy. So easy to sit back and go, you did that wrong. (laughs) Well, that was clearly wrong. This is wrong over there. That's the easy part. Caring is the hard part. Being able to say, oh, hey, 
picking the time where they can hear what you say, uh, spending the time to be able to understand where they were coming from, uh, praying with them, being vulnerable enough to share how it made you feel with them. Man, being caring is hard. But that's what we're called to do. So, one of the implications of this passage as we think through those that are teaching us is, it's a great opportunity to go and ask, do you feel encouraged by me? Ask your connect group leaders this week. Go, look, do you feel encouraged? Maybe don't ask them in front of everyone. No, you all suck. Okay, when you said that, it made me feel... You know. um, but actually, go, look, how, how are you going? What can I be praying for you? I really want to encourage you. I think it's great that you're spending this time and effort to lead me. I, I, and I know that you'll be judged more strictly because of this. And here I am kind of learning from you. I just I want to know how I can be praying for you and helping you. Why don't you take the opportunity this week to do that? The temptation for us is to be slow to encourage and quick to criticize. That should not be where we're at. The thing that we should be doing is praising God for the gifts he's given others. And we get that picture as we move on. The thing I want to say at this point is that personally, I'm so thankful to God for all of you. So I don't feel like this is a church that at its heart is critical. I feel like it's a church that actually longs for and loves its leaders to keep serving Jesus and growing in him. So I really do thank God for you and for the joy it is to see the gospel bearing fruit in one another's lives as we seek to grow one another together. Let's make sure we stay that way, hey? We stay as people who care, who have generous assumptions, who love their leaders, and for their leaders to teach the truth, knowing they'll be judged more strictly. But then James turns to the talk that directs the walk. The talk that directs the walk. He turns from the teachers to us, not as a critic, but as someone who cares. See, last week we saw, as Ben opened up James 2, that faith can't be all talk. You can't just do the talk and not have the walk, right? You actually need to live it out. If it's real faith, it'll actually have fruit. So your walk needs to match your talk if you really do trust Jesus. But now, James wants us to focus on the talk. Because he says our talk directs our walk. Now, this is important. Our talk, the way we speak, what we say, directs where we're walking, our direction. Look at verse 2 again. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. James's aim throughout this whole section is to help you and me be mature, to help us work out how we can be more like Christ. And he says the way to do that is to start controlling your tongue. You want to express control and self-control and godliness in your life? Well, start by trying to control your tongue. (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to control what we say. This week, I've felt my tongue kind of almost jump out of my mouth so many times as I say things that I don't mean to say. I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> oh, should I have said that? You know? And you... James wants us to be mature. Now, in the secular world around us, there's a whole heap of literature today that talks about the power of positive self-talk. Have you heard of that? People talk about, you just need to keep speaking of positive self-talk. You need to say, you know, I can win. I can do this race. You kind of visualize the race. I can, I can run 100 meters in under 10 seconds. I've got to keep visualizing that. And it will help me be a bit faster, but not run under 10 seconds. Um, so it, there's, and there's some truth to that. Now, lots of it is just psychological mumbo-jumbo. If, if I keep saying, you know, I, I, I'm a plane, I'm a plane, I can fly like a plane, that idea is going to come crashing down. Because you know, I'm not a plane. No matter what I think of that. 
But James is saying that the way we speak does direct the way we mature and the way we live as Christians. There's some truth, some link between our mouth, our maturity, and our motives. I'm going to see him unpack this, this link between our mouth, our maturity, and our motives. What we say in life directs where we go. And James gives two illustrations that are quite positive to show us this. Have a look at verse 3. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, where the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. What he's saying is, our tongue controls much of our direction, just like the bit in a horse's mouth controls the direction that it goes. Now, is anyone here like a horse rider? A horsey person? You kind of got the boots and the... Come on, you can show it. Come on. Oh, I can't see any. All right, so horses, I don't know if you've seen this, you get the idea that they're controlled by this bit that goes in their mouth. And that kind of helps them point what direction they're going to go. Uh, when I was about 15, we visited some friends' place and they had this, this big X racing horse, a thoroughbred. Like you, you patted its backside and it was like a rock. You're like, like oh, this, this, this thing's like muscle yaz. And it was up there. I think it was 17 and a half hands or something like that. Now, it doesn't mean it had 17 hands. It's, that's just how you measure horses. But it was tall. It was big, this, this big kind of beast. Anyway, they didn't have a saddle, but they had a bridle. And they said, do you want to go for a ride? And he's kind of pretty, you know, chilled out. He's an ex-race horse. He's not kind of hyped up anymore. I'm like, sure, you know, I'm up for it. So I jump on, kind of going along, and he was good, and gave him a bit of a kick. Anyway, he loved that, and, and just went, boo, and started, like, galloping. I've got, like, no saddle. I'm, like, trying to hold on with my legs. I didn't grow up with horses. I had motorbikes, and they were great. You just turn the motor off, they stopped. This horse... I'm like, this is a beast of an animal. Anyway, it's like galloping towards this fence. And I'm like, this is not going to end well. I'm just trying to hold on. And I'm like, what I need to do is pull this reins back, both sides evenly, so the, the horse's head came down. You know what? The horse just goes, and stops. I'm like, thank God. Right? It was not looking good. I was about to be landed in the trees and the horse kind of spread all over me. It, was, it wasn't good. But here's the thing. That little tiny bit of metal in the horse's mouth controlled this beast of an animal to bring it to a stop. So too the, the tongue. The way we use our tongue controls our direction in life, just like the rudder does in a ship. Now, in these days, they're talking about ships that weren't driven by engines, but by the wind. And the wind is a pretty strong thing, right? You see the winds that kind of come through Auckland sometimes, and they kind of turn cars over, and you're like, whoa, it's powerful. And these winds drive ships forward. He's saying that the master of the ship can just have a little rudder at the back, this little kind of little bit below the water, just point it that way, and the ship just turns. It controls this whole thing by something so small. So it is with our tongue. Our tongue directs our direction in life. But left unchecked, our tongue can wreak havoc. And you probably know this, if you're anything like me, and you see the way that your tongue jumps out and says stuff, not literally, but figuratively. You see that left unchecked, our tongue, James says, is like a fire, and not in a good way. Look at verse 5. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members and it stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Ouch. Who's excited about their tongue? <laughs> right? James doesn't have a very positive view of our tongues in this sense. He's like, while they direct our whole way in life, they're stuffed. 
they keep leading us like a flame in a kind of um, in a petrol station. Have you ever seen that happen? <laughs> Hopefully not. Imagine that little tiny flame and you're in a petrol station. You're like, oh, there's a little bit of water down there. Oh, I thought water put out flames. I think it's water, it's a liquid. And just drop the flame in there and see what happens. Boom. So too, the little tiny, teeny tongue is like hell lit up and staining and changing the way that we act towards not godliness, but sinfulness. And we'll see why a little later. But if that wasn't enough, we get to verse 9 and we see that the man who uses their tongue in, in two different ways, or the person that uses their tongue in two different ways, is really crazy. It just should not happen. It's like the double-minded man from chapter 1 who thinks one way but does another. Have a look at verse 9. With the tongue, we bless the Lord and Father. We're like, yes, we do good stuff. It's great. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Idiot. With the very same thing in our mouths, we do good things and bad things. Blessing and cursing comes out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. I want you to hear James at this moment because he's talking to me and he's talking to you. The moment that we praise God and sing about his goodness, we're acting in the way that we ought to live. That's the one end of the spectrum, the good end of the spectrum. But then we go and say dumb stuff and cut others down and hurt others who are made in God's image. How can you do this? Speak of God and praise him. And at the same time, curse people and cut them down and have... Foul talk coming out of your mouth that's not honouring others and not building others up. What is this? You're like a two-tongued person, Rowan. <laughs> You're like one's flapping to God's glory and the other's flapping to your own glory, trying to take people out. It should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Verse 11. Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grape vine produce figs? The answer is... No. <laughs> Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. The idea that you can have two different things come out of the one spring is crazy. Uh, my parents, uh, they have a, a well, like, kind of like a, um, a bore at their house. Uh, in Australia, there's not much rain sometimes. And so, you know, there's, there's a bore and it goes down a long way and brings up this beautiful fresh water that they can pump out. Um, it is impossible, because that, that's water, they've tested the water, it's great. It is impossible to have a switch on that bore to go from uh, water one day to coke the next. This is not going to happen. It's a bore of pure water, right? You, 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 it's like saying, okay, go down to the harbour, salt water, right, ocean. Put in a bucket, because I'm pretty sure it rains into the ocean somewhere. And so put in a bucket, pull out the bucket, and just get the, the spot where there's just fresh water there. It can't happen. It's just not possible. How is it that we speak of our great God with such love and praise and cut people down? How crazy we are. <laughs> How do, how, do we, how do we do this? How is this possible? It's interesting, James uses this idea, this phrase of our Lord and Father. It was part of the, the basic kind of Jewish devotion. They would bless God and, and saying our Lord and Father was kind of a thing that would, would come from them. Uh, it's interesting that in every section of the Jewish order of service and the way they would run things in their rituals would, would be concluded with a blessing or a praising of God. That's what they did. They praised God at the end of that stuff. And that idea didn't stop with the Jews. Early Christians were captivated by what God had done in Jesus, even more so. you just got to read the letters of Paul and, and see the way he starts and praises God for what he's done. You open up Ephesians 1 and talk about the, the blessings that we have, that we've been um, called and chosen because of God. We've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have a future to hope for. We've been adopted in as his sons. The blessings are just running off Paul's mouth. It's like he can't stop. 
He's praising God because he's so excited about what he has done. Blessing God is the most important form of speech. I'm going to do an awkward experiment with you. I hope you remember this. What I'd like you to do, it's going to feel a bit awkward, but we're all going to do it. Don't look to the side because it could get messy. I, I want you, when I say um, go, I want everyone to poke out their tongues. Ready? One, two, three, go. All right, leave them out, leave them out. It's going to get dry for a bit. That thing that's out of your mouth, right? When you touch it, it's probably gross, but just do it. That was made for you to praise God. That's why it exists. Okay, you can put them back in now. <laughs> then when you turn like, around, you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Our tongues were made that we might praise God, to talk about how great he is, to, to please our maker and speak of his goodness. What are we doing talking about taking those he's made and cutting them down? The more we focus on praising God, living for him in words and actions, the rest of our body will follow in that direction because our talk directs our walk. Now, I'm not advocating here for a shallow kind of um, all talk and no walk view where we just talk about all God's goodness but then we don't actually live it out. No, no, no. But a real and rooted desire to speak of the God who saved us in every circumstance and situation. Imagine what that would be like. You ever met someone that's just real positive all the time? Sometimes those people annoy me. Um, they're like, oh. Uh, sometimes they annoy others. I, I've heard from a woman I know well who's renamed nameless, um, like when someone else gets up in the morning and they're happy, like, why are you so positive? Anyway, that's what Sarah says, I'll just say it to her. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm married to you, it's great. No, well, I am, it's true. My tongue is stopping right now. How are you going at praising God? How are you going at reflecting the direction and hope of your life because of what Jesus has done with your speech? The way you sing when you come to church, the way you speak when you go to work, the way you talk to your friends. Does your tongue point to God and praise Him? See, our speech is a window into our heart. Our speech is a window into our heart. Now, when I wrote that phrase, I'm like, oh, it sounds so wishy-washy. You know, it's a window into our heart. You know, it sounds like a Hallmark card or something dodgy that some psychobabble person says, you know, your speech is a window into the heart of those around you. Anyway, but I want to show you, it actually is. It's a window into what we believe. See, our tongue shows us the root of what's going on inside. Uh, look, look what Jesus says in Matthew 15. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, i.e. what he eats, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, thefts, false testimonies, and slander. See, the tongue is a window into what we really believe, into the heart of where we are at. Another way of saying it is that your mouth is a barometer of your spirituality. Have you ever wanted like a little, little kind of um, meter on the side of you? How am I going with my walk with Jesus? Well, what's great is that the average person spends one-third of their waking hours speaking. And that's our barometer. Do you know that? One-third of your waking hours is spent sleeping. Ah, no, it's not. Well, that's impossible if you think about that. It's spent speaking, not sleeping. And so there we have a window into what we believe. 
There are times that I, I rock up at church and I'm tired and there's stuff going on and maybe my, my quiet times haven't been going well and I'm frustrated and I don't really want to put God first and we come to sing and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to sing. Why don't I want to sing the praises of my God? Has he somehow changed? No. I'll tell you why. My tongue is a barometer to my heart. It's showing me that there's something going on here that I would rather think differently rather than praise him. I want to encourage you that if you come to church and don't sing because you're self-conscious, that perhaps you need to shift your focus from you to God and focus on what it is to sing of his greatness and what he has done for you and to align your heart and your belief and, and the root of your faith with what Jesus has done at the cross. See, if we are always exploding with anger, if we're always kind of saying stuff and you kind of say that stuff and you snap and you're like, ah, oh, I shouldn't really have said that. And you kind of then go, but I I'm not really an angry person. I don't have an angry heart. You need to know that's a lie. <laughs> our tongue is a barometer to our heart, to our spiritual health. Sometimes we justify it. Look, I'm just tired. You know, I haven't had enough sleep. I'm really stressed at the moment. And these things came out. The reality is they came out of inside of you. Yes, these other things like tiredness and stress, they all put us in situations that make it much harder and, and stretch us to respond rightly. But that little bit of lashing out, you know where that came from? Down in my heart. That's where. Words are the window to your heart. But it's more profound than just anger coming out. Being like, yeah, my heart's a little bit angry. I want to show you what I think is the heart of this whole section. Our words show us who we worship. Let me show you how. I'll give you a few illustrations of how this works. Let's say a friend of yours gets a new car. And you're there, they come up, they've got a new car, and they're like, oh, I see my new car. And you look at it, and you're like, that's a pretty cool car. You know, it's got some big fat tires, and it looks kind of sporty. You know, that's, that's, that's a cool car is what you're thinking. And then you kind of in your head, you're like, I like that car. And then you kind of put on your, your Christian kind of critiquing moment, and you find that the words that come out of your mouth first are, oh, that, that's pretty big wheels. How big are they? Like, oh, they're 17-inch. And you're like, that's cool. They must cost a fair bit to put tires on. I don't know if that's really good stewardship, is it? And we start just lashing out at them. And maybe just dropping them down a level or two. And using spirituality to do it or some other thing to do it. Why am I doing that? I'll tell you why. Because at the base of my heart, I wish I had their car. So often we're like, oh, that would be great. I wish I had something like that. Or if it's not a car, it might be something else we wanted. A horse or a donkey. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is. And we're like, why do they get to spend money on that stuff? I'm going to show them that what they did was irresponsible because I haven't done it. And so I'm going to take them down so they understand what they did was dumb and I feel better about myself. Window to my heart about what it is I worship. Let me, let me show you another one. You're married or in a relationship with someone. There's a frustration about the way they've been acting. And you come in and you go, you always do this this way. You never say it that way. And you start attacking them. And you say all this stuff toward them. And then they kind of try and defend themselves. So they'll be like, yeah, but you do this as well. And then you come back and you go, yeah, but you do this other thing. And so you start having this tennis match of who's done the worst thing. And it just gets getting worse and worse and worse. Taking kind of pot shots at one another. Why do we do that? Because at our heart, all we care about is being the best one in the marriage. We want to be the one that didn't make a fault. We want to have our, our lives, our, our identity is shown that I'm in the right, you're in the wrong. And that's all I care about. I want to show that I'm right and you're not. It's the idolatry of my reputation. Rather than listening and hearing what they've said and taking that on. 
I want to show you one more that I guess is a little bit personal to me because it's where I've seen this. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I was chatting with a well-known preacher. He's kind of known ac- across the world. Uh, you know, he's, 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 not, he's not Piper. But, you know, next level down. <laughs> Jesus, Piper, you know, no. <laughs> Oh, so wrong. Stop wrong. <laughs> Early in our conversation, he asked me um, how we were going. You know, and I talked through it. I found myself talking about all the positive things we've seen, people coming to Christ, people growing. I didn't mention any of the hard things or the negative things because who wants to do that? Like everything's going great here. Why was I talking through the positive things? Because I was finding my identity in who I was as a pastor. But it gets worse. He then asked, oh, how are some of the other churches that you're kind of a part of? And I had a friend in another church that he knew. And he asked, how, how's that friend going? And I said, yeah, he's going well. Things, things, things are going well. It's not really growing as, as fast uh, as I think he'd like. But I think that's because he's a boring preacher. Yeah. Now, I'm embarrassed to say that. I was like, what did I just say? I'll tell you what I said. I said, I think I'm better than him. And I find my identity in my service of God. And the reason that I lash out and say dumb stuff is because deep down in my heart, what matters to me is what people think of me as a pastor in my service of God, rather than who I am as a child of God and what Jesus has done. And so out it comes. (laughs) There it is. I didn't correct it, I just let it be. What is it for you? What are the things that your tongue shows that you put in the place of Jesus? Our words are a barometer of our heart. Now, I need to have one caveat because there's different types of people in the world. There are some people that have what is called a filter on their speech. Now, this is a unique concept. I've, I've really not seen it. Uh, Every report card I received as a child, I can show you, all of them say, if Rowan would only think before he spoke. And I'm like, isn't that the same thing? That is how I think. I speak. There is, what do you mean? Uh, and that is the reality of, of kind of how I've been. But for others of you, and, and sorry, for the person who thinks with their words, it can be easy to kind of see what you think because you don't have a big filter and so they just come out. You're like, oh, that was ugly. Oh, I'm sorry. And you're consistently doing that one. But for some of you, you've actually got a great filter, which is an excellent thing that us without filters need to grow. Okay? No, you can't just go, I don't have a filter. I'm that person. I'm just going to spew out hurtful things and be like, oh, sorry, and then move on. A filter is good, but for those of you with a filter... You've actually grown really well to be able to stop some hurtful things coming out. I want to say this. I want you to measure the window of your heart, not on what you say, but on what you want to say. On the things that you stop with that filter. I'm not going to say that. Because there you see the things that you want to say, but you're like, it's not appropriate. I shouldn't do it at this point. And at that moment, like those of us who say it stupidly, repent. (laughs) Ask God to fix our eyes on the fact that the God who made us loves us and has shown his love at the cross. And he's called us his children. We're called co-heirs with Christ. We'll look forward to an eternity with him. The sin that, I, that I've done, the punishment that I deserve, have all been paid for in him. And so that is where I find my joy, my security, my, my happiness, my identity. It's not in what anyone else thinks about me, but it's in him. And so when someone does a better job than me at being a preacher, or someone gets the position that you wanted to get, or the car you wanted to get, or the guy or the girl you wanted to get, or whatever it is in life, and you feel the bitterness coming up and the anger going out, ask yourself this question, what is my God? Because my God is Jesus, I can stand back and go, praise God, for I'm secure in Him. 
He has paid the price for me. I don't need to speak and cut others down, but I can praise my God for my future is secure. Imagine what we'd be like as a church if our first response was to praise God. Imagine how great a church we could keep being. (laughs) Where instead of being critical and kind of cutting others down or other churches down or other people down, we actually speak of what God has done and can stand back and go, praise God, that's great. Well, I'm really struggling right now. I'd love you to pray with me that I get through this time because I want to serve him. That praises God. Imagine what we would be like as a church if encouragement and praise was what came out of our mouth before criticism. You know, they say it takes seven positive things to balance out every one negative thing you say. So for someone to hear you saying an equal amount of positive and negative things, you need to say seven positive to all the one negative. That's how psychologists report it. And so often my first thought is to be negative and to be discouraging rather than go, huh, no, 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 my God has died for me. He's risen from the grave. I can be encouraging. Let's decide today to let our talk define where we walk. Let's ask God to, like last week we saw, not, not just staple on fake fruit of the tree, but to find our faith rooted in Jesus who has died for us. And set, so therefore let that overflow in the way we speak, in the way we view others, and the way we take their criticisms and the way we speak. And today, if you find yourself with something or someone other than Jesus at the core of your life, I want to say today is the day to change. Don't keep going down the track of things that will not satisfy and that will cause you to keep lashing out in the craziness of what we say at times. Ask God to mold and shape you to see that he is everything. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or you've come here today and it's your first experience of God. Stop trying to find yourself and surrender to the reality that God has found you. He has paid the price for your sin at the cross. He is risen again and he is Lord of the universe and he wants to call you his child. So trust him. Find your identity in him. He made you. He loves you. And let our tongues respond in praise. Praising God. Speaking of what he has done. Telling the world of how amazing he is. My prayer for myself and for each of us is we will be so captivated by what Jesus has done at the cross that it changes not only how we think, Not only how we act, but also how we speak. Let's pray. Father God, tonight we know you see deep in our hearts. You see the issues we have with people, the situations where we are bitter with you or with others, where where we have worshipped things that are not you and, and put other things in the place of you and so lashed out in our words and our actions. Help us to recognize how futile that is. And help us to see the great joy of knowing that our sins are paid for in Christ. Lord, focus our eyes on what Jesus has done. Captivate us by him. And let that transform the way we speak so that others will see we live not for our own identities, but for pointing people to Jesus. Let our words praise you in every situation, in every area of life, for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.